Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Beats his tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. Saw the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Cannell and Bell. Raja Bell here. Danny Cannell off. Tommy Tran with you over the next hour or so. Raja, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. We got smoked last night in our high school game. But other than that, I'm fine. Oh, we're going to get to yeah. that in a little yeah. bit and talking about that a uh, little bit later on here. On Canell and Bell, and we're getting ready for the combine, and I love like so. By the way, did you guys touch upon our, our like our first anniversary at HQ? Um, no, we haven't done that yet. If you'd like, Dude, to, it's, yeah. it's the first anniversary of HQ, we so we're, we're up and running. I know off the bench. Congratulations you know, to us! It was happy yeah. birthday to us. Right. Uh, one of the things that I, I love about what we're doing is like we're in from day one with the combine, much like we were at the Super Bowl. You were down at Radio Row. Yep. I was too. I mean, every day leading up to the Super Bowl, we were there with the coverage. So we're doing the same thing with the combine in Indy. Brady Quinn was there. Our guy Ryan Wilson, which we'll bring in a little bit. So I'm kind of excited to kind of get the the nitty gritty of, of what that week means for guys. It's kind of like the meat market, right? Sure. You come in, you get poked, you get prodded, you get measured. Um, it's a little bit like uh, you know going in and just having a bunch of doctors and scouts look at you yeah i mean it's look it can be uh it can be nerve-wracking at times like sometimes you know guys stock depends on what they do out there but for some guys it's a really good opportunity uh if you're a lesser known name you can go out there and really make some noise and then you know for some of these higher you know ranked prospects you just want to go out there and make sure you check the boxes in terms of physically being what they expect you to be and and kind of having no medical red flags so without further ado, let's welcome in our draft analyst and NFL writer, Ryan Wilson, joining us from Indy. Ryan, what's up, man? How are you? Uh, I just want to point out before we get started here, last night we celebrated HQ's one-year anniversary, went clubbing with Pete Prisco. I can't say enough about how awesome that was. I feel sorry for you there. <laughs> That's where First we're and at. foremost, you, you still made it through the morning here uh, joining us on the pod. Hey, so obviously I mentioned, uh, you know, we are getting in from day one, and what's sort of the talk about what you're seeing down there in Indy, what's the kind of the big buzz topic or player so far? Uh, you know what it's going to be, Tommy T. It's going to be Kyler Murray. Uh, we talked earlier last hour about whether to throw or not, but the fact that he's here, the fact that he's committed to football has everyone talking. They want to see what happens, not only if he doesn't do the on-field things, obviously, but if he has the, when he does the interviews, what does he say to coaches, how does he come across, how does his commitment feel to these coaches and GMs to talk to him? And I think after that, it's going to be the quarterbacks. This isn't a very deep class. Dwayne Haskins is my number one quarterback at Ohio State. But Kyler Murray is the most dynamic, the most exciting, the biggest storyline uh, day one here at the Combine. So, look, talking about the quarterbacks, like wh why has throwing at this Combine become such an important thing? I know all these guys are going to have their pro days. And of those that may throw there this week, who do you think can help themselves uh, the most uh, at the Combine? Well, you know, Brady Quinn was actually talking about this last hour. Uh, this wasn't a big televised event when he was here 12 years ago. It's going to be on four networks. Teams are going to be, uh, every play, uh, people are going to be watching, excuse me, and there's going to be a big sort of focus on what these players can do and how they can help themselves with, with big performances. So I think that would encourage uh, more players to throw than in the past when it was sort of a closed-circuit situation. Last year, everyone threw except Sam Darnold, so there's a precedent for it. And you wonder if Kyler Murray would be actually uh, enticed to do so because Dwayne Haskins is doing so. In terms of people that I, I'm interested to see and who can help themselves, Auburn's Jared Stidham uh, could do a lot for his stock. 
Really rough season in 2018, not entirely his fault. Fantastic athlete, really good arm, but no offensive line to speak of. Had a lot of drops. And when you watched him play last season, whenever that offensive line, he started to feel pressure, real or otherwise, his eyes would drop, the play would break down, and sometimes that would lead to bad decisions. When I talked to him at the Senior Bowl, he said his biggest attribute, the biggest thing he brings to a team is leadership, and that's certainly something the NFL teams look for in their quarterbacks. So he comes here, he's going to have the athleticism, but when he talks to team, goes to the drills, if he shows well, there's a chance he could be a day-two pick. So we'll have to see about that. So, Ryan, you're talking about a quarterback who can uh, most help himself. But what about a guy that probably will come in with a lot of pressure because maybe the perception there is that his stock is dropping a little bit, and so he may have to come out and maybe perform above and beyond to try to at least keep his stock as it is, if not help it out a little bit here. No, that's right, Tommy T, and that would be Will Greer out of West Virginia. Really good season, but when you watched him closely, there were some inconsistencies that stood out. Lack of patience on certain plays, forcing balls into situations that left you scratching your head. But you look at the numbers, you go, okay, this guy can play. But when you watch a little closer, it's a different story. Didn't have the best senior bowl, sort of struggled up and down through the practice week there, three days in Mobile. The game didn't do much better for him. So he's got to come here. He's got to set the world on fire. If he doesn't, and there are questions about his arm strength, so we'll see about that. But if he struggles here... Then the question becomes, does he fall out of the day two, second, third round range? Are we talking about a day three situation? And that's come a long way from September, October, where there was conversations that he could be a first round talent. So you touched upon Sam Darnold, and we know that he did not throw at the combine last year. And they had his pro day, which was rainy. There was some weather. So it actually benefited Sam Darnold. He ended up looking really good from his pro day. Does it help or hurt Kyler Murray to have maybe made a decision by now? I know he said he's unsure, which means he can wake up Friday or whatever, Saturday, and say, I want to throw, or maybe I don't want to throw. Like, would he have been better served to just say, I am or I'm not heading into this week? Well, if nothing else, he's building drama around this conversation. And even if he waits to the last minute and declines, then it becomes a pro day situation as you're talking to there. He can go there with his own receivers, sort of script what he wants to do with practice sessions prior to the pro day, and then the private workouts, obviously, he can show what he can do there. So I don't think he's under any pressure uh, to, to say one way or another what he wants to do. I think the pressure is now over in that he's committed to football. He has to come here, and he may actually be feeling more pressure having to do these interviews with coaches and GMs about trying to find out who he really is. He's not the dynamic leader that Baker Mayfield was at Oklahoma the year before, but he does have – he's obviously a leader. He's obviously a very good player, and it's a matter of NFL teams finding out exactly who this person is. And we know athletically what he can do, so I don't think throwing – one way or the other is going to affect his draft stock, if I'm being honest about it. Let's just hope he presents himself a little bit better than he did the Super Bowl. I'm sure it was some kind of big plan there to kind of keep coy, but that was not a good look for him, so we'll, we'll wait and see there. Yeah, no doubt. Um, uh, Ryan, let me ask you about Josh Jacobs, a former Alabama running back. Obviously, he's dealing with a groin situation. He'll be limited uh, in drill work. Do you think that affects his status or his draft, uh, his draft stock in one way or another? No. I mean, you know, Roger, the groin injury – at worst cases, maybe a couple months. We don't know the severity of it, but it's not an ACL. It's not like a list frank injury, which is what Marquise Hollywood Brown has, and that could keep him out well into uh, the summer. But I think Josh Jacobs is my number one running back. He's a lot of people's number one, uh, number one running back. And when you watch him play, he is so explosive around the edge. He makes people miss in, miss in small areas. He can catch. He can block. So he do, does all the things that you like to, to see in uh, an NFL running back in 2019. He's not my only first-round running back talent. And if he comes here, well, he's not going to run. But if he runs a 4-5 or five at his pro day or whenever he decides to run, there's no doubt in my mind he's a top 32 pick. There's conversations about him going in the top 10. I think that's a little too steep. But he's easily, far and away, the best running back in this class. 
Ryan, we love comps, player comps. Everybody wants to do that. Uh, Josh Jacobs, whether you've looked at him or just talked to other scouts or GMs, is there one in the NFL for him right now? The name that keeps coming up is Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara was a third-round pick, but if he comes out in this draft, he's obviously a first-round pick. So if you like Alvin Kamara, if you think he does really good things for the Saints, that's the guy Josh Jacobs could end up being in the right system. Uh, I think in my latest mock draft, I have Josh Jacobs going to the Eagles. They're in desperate need of a running back. But imagine him with a healthy Carson Wentz, get some playmakers on the outside, and that defense has been really good. And suddenly you're looking at an Eagles team that could look a lot more like the 2017 version than the one that was up and down in 2018. All right, so Alabama's Pro Day going to take place March 19th. And, again, Josh Jacobs will probably have a, a better opportunity to showcase some of his skills. Not everything will be uh, developed and, and exploited here on Indianapolis here this week. All right, so we have such a, a deep class of defensive players. You could almost do interior D linemen and then edge rushers, and we'll focus on the edge rushers right now. When you take a look at that specific group, who has a chance to really separate himself from the pack? Rashawn Gary out of Michigan might be one of the best athletes in this draft. He played out of position in Michigan. They had him inside, outside, inside. And what he was asked to do was a lot of times take up two uh, blockers to allow other teammates to make plays. He's going to be an edge rusher in the NFL. He's going to be about 280, 6'4". There's talk he could run a 4'6". So if that happens, people are going to lose their minds. And his sheer athleticism is going to make him uh, a likely top 10 pick. And if he comes here and does all those things physically that we're talking about, that's what's exactly what's going to happen. There's so much untapped potential there. NFL teams are really excited to see what he can do once they get their hands on him. And it starts here at the Combine with the uh, you know the underwear Olympics, as we like to call it. So, <laughs> let me ask you about the Cowboys, because obviously defensively they lost uh, Randy Gregory to suspension and now possibly David Irvin. They don't have a first-round pick. How do you how do you think that this shakeup uh, from the league affects the way they approach the draft? Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to target an edge rusher. Uh, the most important position in my mind after quarterback is the guy who gets after the quarterback. And if you don't have that, it can make a long day for your defense, no matter how good your secondary is. I mentioned Jalen Ferguson as a possible target as a second-round pick. He's a little stiff. We'll see if he can show that he's more flexible around the edge this week. But uh, he set, set all sorts of sack records in college, and that's a guy that people have been talking about since the fall. I want to see him play with more consistency than he did uh, that I saw the Senior Bowl. And another guy that I like a lot out of ODU, another sort of name no one's talking about is O'Shane Zimenez, one of the best names in the draft. He's a smaller guy, about 250, 260, but he can motor, man. He's got a fantastic first step, extremely flexible and bendy, as they like to say. And if he can just play with more consistency and get off some of those blocks, he's a guy that can make a lot of sense in the second round for the Cowboys should they target edge rusher there. All right, they're telling me to go to break, but I got this is what always fascinates me. Who's going to be the fastest guy uh, at the Combine this year? Andy Isabella, 5'8", out of UMass. He was a sprinter in high school. He might run 4'3", maybe 4'3", sub, so watch out for that. I don't know. My money might be on Pete Prisco. I mean, Prisco <laughs> last year at the combine had his little reporter thing running. He's a gift now, by the right. way. So, Ryan, great stuff as always, man. Thanks for taking some time. And uh, catch Ryan Wilson with our other guys here at CBS Sports HQ throughout the day, including the Pick 6 Rundown live shows out there from Indianapolis. So... Look, again, he talked about, was it the Underwear Olympics? Yeah. That, the comparison. And, you know, I, I've covered a couple guys in college, obviously, that get to the, to the pro days, they get to the combine, and it's just, it's, it's a stretch, because not only the physical stuff, it's some of the mental stuff they, I mean, they ask you some weird things. Like, one of the athletes uh, I covered went, went to the combine and came back, and it's like, are you more of a dog? Are you more of a cat? Are you right. this? And it's just some, some obscure things that's supposed to help define who you are. Did you get that in the NBA? Uh, so the NBA, I don't think they have, um, you know, as much 
craziness around the questions that are asked and the type of responses that they're trying to like elicit. Now, now certain teams will ask pointed questions, uh, to try to get said player to reveal who he is. You know, you'd go in with that strategy and certain teams are a little edgier about that and a little more progressive than others. But generally speaking, you know, I don't think that you have the same type of, um, question being asked in an NBA setting. These are just more trying to get to know you, um, trying to get a feel for where you come from, who you are, you know, what your background is, what what motivates you and drives you. It's not one of these things. Like I've heard NBA uh, NFL stories of, you know, guys trying to trick them, asking about their mom's like, right. you know, profession, asking about, you know, sexual preference, stuff like that. I don't think you get that in the NBA. At least I haven't really been exposed to yeah, it. Yeah, and that's what uh, Jeff Schwartz, former player now on the other side, kind of our side of things, talking about how awkward the combine is. And you mentioned some of the things they do outside of just measuring. So then what is different in the NBA? You say like different organizations approach it differently. Like, like, like give me a sense of like how different some things might be. Well, I mean, look, so every team is going to have their, you know, their sports psychologist or their in-house, you know, guy come into these meetings with you, right? So every meeting with the team will take on its own tone, depending on what that sports psychologist or that front office would like to get from said player. So that could be unique across the board. Uh, um, you don't know what you're going to get. But what really differs from like the NBA and the NFL pro combines is like, you're going to play at the NBA combine. Like they're, they're playing games. So right. you're doing your measurables, you're doing your vert, you're doing your shuttle test, you're doing your bench, you're doing your height, weight, physical, MRIs, all of that. Then they're going to put you out on a court with nine other guys that, that you're competing against and you're actually going to play live games in front of everyone there. So I was going to say that because we've talked about it before. Remember we had this conversation about Barrett or Zion about who's going to be a better pro and if you have to change your pro game or your projected NBA game in college. Like, so obviously in the NFL, a lot of, a lot of things go, Oh, did you look at the tape? How did you do on tape? In the NBA, do they, I mean, do you look at tape? Like if you look at a Duke Virginia game, are you be able to pull from that? Or are these workouts more important? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously we're breaking down tape. Like when I was with the Cavs, you know, you'd get a targeted amount of guys coming into a draft that you'd have to do deep dives on. Like you'd really, uh, you know, have to watch three, four, five, six, seven, eight game films on them. Then, you know, I'd be sent out to see certain people at their, you know, conference tournaments, right? So I'm out there. I got to see Buddy Hield when I'm there. And then I got to go see the kid RJ Hunter down at Georgia State. And so I've got my certain group of guys that I'm going to see. You have your guys and four other scouts might have their guys, right? But then we're all responsible for knowing every, every kid on the draft board. So you would have had to do your homework and at least seen a game or two of the campaigns of the, uh, you know, anybody else who would have been in that draft. JP Tokados. This is the draft that I, I prep for. Uh, and so then you'll get in a room and you'll knock out ranking all of those guys, right? You'll rank them, 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 and go over it, and you'll come to a consensus on where these guys rank. But what you're, what I was really looking for in that process was when I got the guy in our building. When I got him in our building, um, and I could see him physically, and we drop him in a five-man workout, who was co- competing? Like, who was popping off the page that day? Who took the bull by the horns in that workout and wanted to be the best player? And to a player like me, that it spoke, it spoke to me, because that's the way I played. I wanted to see the dog come out. I wanted to see you fight and scrap. I knew what your talent said. I knew you just hit like 72 out of 100 threes. I saw that your mid-range game was better than it looked on tape. But now I want to see if I put you up against your peer, like who wants to fight for that scrap? And that, that spoke to me. Like everybody else has their different, you know, opinion on what speaks to them in terms of being a scout, but that's what really spoke to me. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. 
You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Okay, let's talk about Duke. No Zion Williamson last night. They lost at number 20, Vatek. So, look, Zion and Duke, they've lost two out of their last three. Mm -hmm. And Zion, look, he didn't play in the Carolina game. They won at Syracuse and now lost here. I spoke with our bracketologist, Jerry Palm. And so Duke is still a one seed. They're just not the overall one seed. They dropped two spots to number three. But here's the one that he started talking about, though, because because like now it's like when do you bring him back? Right, uh, two or three regular season games back before the conference tournament, and now maybe because they lost, there's there's a bit more pressure to maybe bring Zion back because Jerry was saying the losses still count. Now there's you know you can put an asterisk on that, and their other loss against Syracuse certainly had no Trey Jones. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, well, I kind of flip flop my position because last night I didn't. Necessarily, I'm with Coach K. Coach K said uh, his quote was, "They didn't lose tonight. Uh, Virginia Tech won." There's a big difference, and I kind of tend to agree with him on that. Like Virginia Tech is not a bad basketball team. They the only loss that they have outside of top ten teams uh, is to Louisville, and Louisville is an 18 and 10 squad. So, like they're a really good basketball team. You're playing at their place. Uh, it's only your second game without maybe your best player. Uh, so. I thought they gave a valiant effort, and, and you you put on top of that the fact uh, that R.J. Barrett was reported to have kind of some kind of stomach bug. I thought they played well and they played hard, and you have to give them some time to figure out how they need to play without Zion. I don't know that you need to rush Zion back at this point. Zion is Zion. You're going to miss a bunch of points in the paint. Like, all of that disappears when Zion's not in the game, but what you're getting is people who haven't necessarily got an opportunity to play that much this year and have the ball in their hands for Duke, they're getting opportunities now. And you're seeing guys start to play well. Like some of that bench is really starting to play better. The kid Marquise, is it Bolson or Bolton Bolden. or whatever? Yep. Bolden, he's playing better. And so if losing Zion right now costs you a few games, but you gain um, some experience for some of these guys so that when you bring Zion back, you have more sort of a supporting cast for him. I'm okay with it. So I don't think there's a rush to bring Zion back at this point. Yeah, a few things. Like Vodtag's ranked 20th in the country yeah. around their home court. So they were laying three, three and a half right there. It was Duke. So, um, you know, our guys in Sportsline yesterday said take the points in that particular situation. But I'm with you there because I think even if they had Zion, and they will eventually by all accounts of what we know because he's day-to-day, they need to shoot, man. They cannot shoot the three right. to save their life. So when Zion got hurt, uh, they had this kid Baker. They were trying to redshirt. They kind of they're burning his redshirt year now because they really need some three point shooting. Uh, they bring O'Connell in here in, in his absence to try to get some of that shooting because Jack White hasn't really gotten it done since the beginning of the year. So I think they need to use this time. And it is a, also a tough stretch that they have. They have Carolina coming up uh, before the conference tournament. They're going to face some good teams. I think this is a time for them to start shooting because. That's usually a Coach K team. Is right. Teams can shoot lights out from three. If they can even just be decent, that's what they really need to do, or else they're going to get into one of these games where teams outshoot them. And all of a sudden, because remember how many years it's like Duke, the, the, like it's like the Golden State Warriors thing. The Duke's threes outweigh your twos. Right. That's been the complete opposite this year. Yeah, I mean, well, they have guys. I mean, their main guys like Zion and RJ aren't pure shooters, so they're driven by 
like drives and slashes to the basket and finishing the paint, tough shots. Cam Reddish is a shooter, but again, I'm, my point is like, I would like to have Zion back for the NC game. I think the kid deserves a chance to play in that game. I think it would be great for college basketball, but I'm just not as worried as I was if they're losing a few games, if you're going to get names like you just mentioned, stepping up and playing bigger roles, because those are the guys ultimately that in, you know, championship ACC games or in, in, uh, the NCAA tournament, that's your supplementing three point shooting, right? Like those are the guys that can, can help carry you and that you need to knock down nine to 12 points on wide open threes. And so if they're in a rhythm and that rhythm is created by not having Zion and maybe I lose two games down the stretch, I'm not that concerned with it if I'm Duke. I'm playing the long game. Yeah. There's a few things here. They're tied for 328th in the country. There's only like 343. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how bad Duke is. Um, uh, shooting the ball. Shooting the ball yeah, three. Yeah, right. like a 30.7%. Producer Coco and Mayer giving me some of the stats here. And another thing, to your point, like regionally, like first of all, Duke's a national team. Um, the closest region for the Sweet 16 going into the Final Four would be Louisville. So, I mean, even if they're a two-seat in that region or if they're a one somewhere, I don't really think it matters that if they end up with a one or two, not like some other schools. that. No, they don't They don't necessarily need it. Like Their, to- their top end was Zion back and – Guys in rhythm, like the supporting cast in rhythm, it's not going to matter whether there are one, two, three. Like it, none of that's going to make a difference. All right, so Duke's final three games against Miami, against Wake, both at home, and then at UNC, a possible revenge spot for Zion Williamson and the Dean Dome. That game would be on a Saturday. Moving on to, boy, a lot of talk. I'm sure you and Danny have spent time on the Lakers. And then there's the Celtics, two yeah. franchises we thought, of course, uh, most preeminent in the NBA. And what is going on right now? You have them an embarrassing loss against Toronto, and after the game, you got Brad Stevens talking about taking shortcuts. You got Marcus Smart talking about how we're not a, a cohesive unit. Um, you know, Marcus Smart gave a, a diagnosis on the team that they're not playing together. And you got Kyrie also saying, "I don't know, man. You got to ask Brad. Take me in that locker room, Raja. What's going on? That's a mess. Like that was a team last night that just came out and got rolled. It was a that statement game. That second quarter got rocked. They got rolled. Like You could tell that Toronto was there to make a statement. Toronto was flying around. Toronto was defending. Toronto was sharing the ball. They were playing loose and free offensively. All of the things that the Celtics used to do last year, uh, Toronto did to them last night. And then on the flip side, the Celtics just looked like once Toronto decided to step it up, they didn't have another gear to get into. Like Emotionally, they couldn't pick up um, – pick up the pace and 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 match what Toronto was doing. And so I look this is a weird situation and we talked off air. I was talking to Mike's uncle about it. Like Kyrie is an interesting guy. And I don't mean to put the blame on Kyrie because I really like Kyrie's game. I think Kyrie's, you know, a good guy. I, I like his family. But he's one of those guys that for me, he doesn't really lead, but he won't be led. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so Typically with your best player, you need him to lead by example. You need him to lead by, you know, doing all the dirty work, sharing the ball, being held accountable when he needs to be held accountable. And when you can hold your best player to those standards, everybody else under that player understands. Like it's, it's a, it, we understand that we will be held to the same standard. But when you're, when your best player kind of, you know, doesn't see the value in, in sacrificing and giving up a little bit for other guys to be better. Like, is never really a, like, it's my fault guy. It's kind of always, like, you know, uh, you know, go ask somebody else type of deal. Like, he's really not leading your team. Like, he's, he's your best individual player, but he's not leading. He's not driving the culture of your team. And so, if he's not going to do that, then he must fall in line and let someone else lead the team. Let's say Marcus Smart, for example. Like, there were teams that I've been on where the best player wasn't the emotional leader. But then your best player had to take the cues from the emotional leader. 
But Kyrie's not a guy that will take his cues from an emotional leader either. He's kind of off on his own little island. And so you've got a bunch of guys looking around saying, listen, we did this last year right. without you. Like, just buy into the way we need to play and the way we need to get it done, and we can go back and do it again. You add your skill set to it, and that gets us over the top. But to some degree, I'm looking at it, and this is just me from the outside, it looks like Kyrie's resistant to that. His whole attitude in the press conference post game, when asked about, you know, Brad Stevens and Marcus Smart's comments, and, you know, you could see him just kind of being passive-aggressive about it. Like, it all leads to him really not buying in. So you either lead or be led. The interesting thing when you look at Kyrie, and I'll just use this year because I could go back a little further. Like when he was obviously the number one pick going to Cleveland and then they were so bad. They got another number one pick and obviously LeBron kind of came in and saved them and they go on those runs to the finals ends in a championship. But with like Kyrie, you remember came into this year saying to his season ticket holders, yeah, I'll be back. He's coming off that injury. Hayward's also here. And we've talked about how you can use all the cliches, right? Too many mouths to feed, too many cooks in the kitchen. This team is so stacked. They have guys from eight to 10 that are really good. Right. Now it's all of a sudden this year, because last year, out of necessity, you know, Hayward's hurt from the get-go. Kirby Irving's gone for the end of the regular season, into the postseason. And to your point, all these guys like a Jalen Brown, a Tatum, they all grew up. They all come up and they all ball out. Then they get to this year, and you got everybody's like, where are my minutes coming from? Who's going to be this guy? And then we're starting to see it. Then we see Kyrie leaking, phone calls to LeBron. So that is, that's one thing, and that's one player dynamic. Now I want to bring up Brad Stevens. because. Yep. For the first time, I feel like he's really getting a little bit of heat. Sure. He always sort of been that guy with Teflon, punching all the right buttons, best guy out of timeouts, Brad Stevens, underdog Brad Stevens. This year, he not the underdog role. LeBron left. LeBron went to L.A. You're supposed to be the guy leading this team, automatic NBA Finals appearance. And and last night, his his comments about it was a little bit Steve Kerr-esque to the point where it's like, He's like, I don't know, they're not really listening to me, that this has been the theme, that you know we haven't really been a team lately, and, and, and we need to really kind of do something. It's the first time I feel like he's been somewhat defeated after a game, publicly yeah. at least. Well, look, when Brad Stevens came into the league, he was playing with underdog type of teams. Those are kind of college mentality guys, right, to some degree, right? You, you, you Stars in the NBA are different. They're wired different. You, you, coaches have to treat them sometimes with kids' gloves. You know what I mean? But he had these teams that were underdogs. Like, that was perfect for Brad Stevens, who was a college-style coach. Guys that are going to do whatever you need to do. Play hard. Like, beat you up. Like, the NBA is not always like that. Do you know what I mean? It's just not. It's a business for some guys. Right. And so, you know, I've had guys in the NBA telling me, you know, sometimes asking a guy to play defense just takes away from his offense. I was like, what? What are you talking about? Like, but that's the way some NBA guys think. Like, they're just specifically there to play offense. So I only say that to say that Brad Stevens' job was not easy, but easier when he had teams that were all bought into playing a college style of ball. Share the ball. Move. Play tough defense. Be hard-nosed. Uh, you know, nose to the grindstone type of teams. And now you interject, like, Kyrie Irving into the mix, and that's not his style. That's not the way he plays. He's got a big personality. He is a star. And now you've got to deal with him as a coach, a guy who's not on the reservation necessarily with everyone else. Do you know what I mean? And that that is also the test of an NBA coach, whether you can manage and navigate those personalities and the dynamics. And then what happened is to accommodate Gordon and to accommodate Kyrie, you have to start shuffling around these minutes. Right. Now Jalen Brown, a guy who was as good as Jason Tatum last year, like, he was as effective as Jason Tatum in the playoffs. Now he's on your bench. Like, do you know what I mean? He's looking around like, damn, man, this dude's not bought into what you're preaching. I'm bought into what you're preaching, yet I'm the sacrifice that has to be made. So now there's a little bit of drama there with the relationship. I don't necessarily trust Brad Stevens the same way I trusted him before, you know, because he's not the same dude I remember. Uh, and so he's got a lot on his plate right now. Um 
with the personalities. The on-court stuff is one thing, Tommy, but the personalities in that locker room, getting the buy-in and the trust from all of those players towards him um, is something that he has to work on down the stretch. Brad Stevens, after last night's loss, quote, we have to be a lot more connected as a team. That's been the theme for a while. Marcus Smart adding, nobody's together. We've got to have everybody on the same page doing the same things at the same time. You know, Danny Ainge and company, they 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 stood pat at the trade deadline. They kept all their pieces. Yep. They have all their pieces. It'll be really interesting to see because right now, Indiana's not going away. I think we project that, you know, that they'll they'll have a, a playoff run, obviously. They lost Oladipo. But they may still play well enough to, to make Philly or Boston play that 4-5 game right now. Because if you look at the standings right now, Boston's the fifth seed right. having to go to Philly. And I know they've owned Philly. So, I mean, you know what I'm saying? But, like, right now they're not in a good spot right now. If you're Danny Ainge, like, if you had a magic wand, Raja, like, what are you what are you mixing here to try to make this thing work? Um, Yeah, I, I, like, if I'm Danny Ainge, I would have, I'd like to use my magic wand to take me back in time and pull a, <laughs> pull a deal around the trade deadline. You know what I mean? But I, I understood he was trying to keep all those assets to make a run at Anthony Davis. Um, here's the deal. What I really believe to have to happen is Brad Stevens, and I don't know that he hasn't done this. It's time for you to step up and put people on blast. If it's Gordon Hayward, put him on blast in front of the whole team. Call it out. If it's Kyrie Irving, put that on blast. Call him out. You have to have a heavier hand than you've, than you've had. You know that you have Marcus Smarts, Terry Rogier's, Jalen Browns. You have guys that will buy into what you're preaching. Evidence from last year. Whoever is affecting that mood in the locker room and who, whatever you know as a coaching staff who the guy is. Tommy, look, we are on the outside. We are guessing. The people in that building every day, they know what the problem is. It's not hard to see. I consulted with the Cavs before I ever, you know, was, was with, uh, what, before I was hired. And they brought me up there for like two days to sit in a practice and find out whether the team had quit on Mike Brown or not. It took me 17 minutes to figure that out. I watched practice and I was like, oh yeah, they're not, they will not play for him. You need to let that go. Right? And I like Mike Brown, but it was obvious. So the people in that building know who the problem is, whether it's one or two culprits, they know. You need to call them out. You need to have a complete airing of grievances, get it all out on the table, let them know that it's unacceptable, have a little more of a heavy fist, and see if that will help propel you guys uh, to be in the team that you need to be. All right. Uh, we'll talk about Russell Westbrook instead. So he's clearing the air on what went down during Tuesday night's game in Denver. So during the third quarter of the Thunder's loss to the Nuggets, play stopped after a foul call on the floor. And you can see a young fan sitting courtside appeared to stand up and have a brief moment with Westbrook. So after the game... Russ cleared the air. He said, quote, he hit me. So I told his dad, be careful, man. You can't just have your son hitting random people. I don't know him. He don't know me. So just letting him letting him know you've just got to control your kids. For all fans, though, there's too much leeway for the fans to be able to touch the players and get away with it. And then you can't react and do the things that we need to do to protect ourselves. There has to be some type of rule or type of boundary set. And you just cannot allow that. So, Raja, knowing everything that Russell Westbrook said there, what is your take on his comments? Um, I'm with Russ. They need to boy sit your ass down. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you're sitting courtside at a at a NBA basketball game, and you're standing up, basically, in the play. Like, you know, for a lot of reasons, what happens if Russell Westbrook or any other player is 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 chasing a loose ball like a thousand miles an hour over there at you, and you get you get ran over? Like, you could get seriously injured. And to the kid's parents, like. You know, bro, like, you, you do have to control your children. Like, I, I know we're in a day and age where, you know, it's less, uh, you know, less strict and less discipline. And, you know, look, sometimes you got to tell your child they can't do something. And it's sitting courtside in an NBA game, you cannot be standing up in the middle of the place. Sit your behind down and don't be touching the players. You're not allowed to do that. So I'm with Russ 100%.
I think what compounds or what people are when they talk about social media is that Russ kind of has a history, not necessarily with kids, but just in, in general with some fans. So, you know, again, people just watching it. Some are like, oh, it's just innocent. It's a kid. Not, love to have. Nope. It's not. No. Right? No. He's, he's doing his job. He's on the court. Right? Now, like, what if Russ's reaction, just hypothetically, not understanding what happened to him, what if he had swiped back like that and hit, and hit a kid? Is that like, like seriously, like he doesn't know when you're out there on the court as a player, I'm fully aware that nine guys are on the court. So if anything is hitting me from behind or pushing me or nudging me from behind, my first reaction would be like, yo, that something shouldn't be doing that to me. Do you understand? So while yes, it is a kid and I can put that in perspective and he didn't really shove Russ or hit him hard enough to really affect Russ. The point being that kid should not be standing up on the side of the court touching an NBA basketball player. If there's no place uh, in any sport for that. You are there to spectate. You have paid your money to to ha- earn the right to sit in those seats, not to earn the right to touch and affect someone on the court. That's not his place. His dad needs to sit him down. Anna, do we know, like, did anything happen to the fan or the kid, or did they just have a stern talking to? No, I, don't, I didn't see anything like that. I will say the kid, he looks like, like, we're all talking like he's a kid, and, and of course he was, but he he was pretty old. Like, he, he looked well, like, that's like the, 13, yeah. 14. Some people said child. I was like, that's not a child. Right. That's a kid. I mean, maybe kid is right there, but it's like, I, definitely not a child. I'm look, looking like four or five years old. Yeah, he... I don't think that fan should be kicked out. I don't know that there should be any repercussions for his parents. I just support Russ in that that kid has no business standing up and touching me while I'm in a basketball game. Like, I don't know that I would have reacted the same way Russ did or not, but he really has no business being right there next to the action and, and, and pushing Russ. Like, he had no business being there. Back on Canel and Bell. All right, so let's talk about one Trey Young. Yeah. Everything this year has been Luka Doncic and how he's changing the rules and making how we view rookies. And lo and behold, after a pretty bad month of November, Trey Young balling out had 36 points against the Rockets. Right. 8 of 12 shooting. Uh-huh. He's been balling out. Uh, what have you seen from him lately? All right. So I see a guy who's getting his sea legs under him. He's acclimating to the speed and the size of an NBA game. It wasn't, uh, I don't know, more than three weeks ago that he made a comment about both teams getting a good deal in the trade that was made between him and Luca, and people were killing him. Like, are you crazy? Like, you know, the Mavs got a star, and, I, and my take was like, yes, they did. But pump your brakes for a second, because I always felt that when Luca came into the league, because of his size, and because he had been a pro for four years already, essentially, he was going to be more drop-in ready, right? Like, you could just drop him in, and he'd be ready to work. Trey Young was going to take some time. He was smaller. He was one year removed from high school basketball. So it was going to take him a little bit of time to kind of get himself together. But when you look at the numbers now, I mean, they are relatively comparable. You expect a field goal percentage to be better for a bigger player. That's generally the case and the rebounding numbers. The assist Trey Young has him by two. The usage rate is actually interesting because Trey's a guy that needs a ball in his hands. He uses it less. Um, and he's right there at 17 and a half points per game. Over the last 20 games though, he's averaging 21.7. He's shooting 38% from the three point line, eight and a half assists. So it, 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 the trend is that he's getting more and more comfortable and figuring out ways to bring what he did at Oklahoma to an NBA court. I don't know that he ever winds up being Steph Curry. Again, I don't think that's fair to him or to Steph. I think it was fair to say he had a game that resembled Steph's in the way that they played it. But I don't know that that's the ceiling for Trey. But I do think Trey is going to be a very, very good 
NBA player. I think once they start to get some pieces in Atlanta that can help him win in year three or four, if he continues to trend uh, in this direction, he is going to be a really, really, really good NBA point guard. You mentioned him trying to get his legs underneath him. When you go through a rookie season, does, does the light turn on, or is it gradual, or is it different for guys? It's it's different for for everybody, man. Some guys come out and because of their size and their stature and and their you know and their uh, you know athletic ability that they can affect the game a lot quicker than a guy who may be smaller um, and rely on the timing and 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 figuring out. Like what fraction of a second I have to get that guy in the air and get by him or how much time do I have to get this shot off. And that all varies depending on your player. Some guys will go through a whole rookie season and it never translates. They never get the speed of it. It takes an off season and another preseason for them to get it. But Trey Young, you can see a steady, gradual improvement from him. And if you got a guy that's doing that, then you made the right call in drafting him as high as he is. He, look, 17 and a half a game, eight assists a game. Those are really, really good numbers for a rookie point guard. Like they, they really do. He, they rival Steph Curry's. Steph Curry averaged 17 and a half a game as a rookie right. and three less assists. Like these are really good numbers for a rookie point guard. Um, and again, when I'm talking about basketball, when you take a step up in levels, right? It all becomes about the amount of time you have to do something or to make a decision, right? Um, and, you know, there's more length coming at you. There's more athleticism. So that one and a half seconds that you had to process information in high school right. becomes 0.75 seconds in, in the pros. And it's about how quickly you can acclimate to that and be able to make your decision and make your play. And it just takes everyone a different amount of time to do that. You see him starting to be able to do it. That'll be interesting. You got Luka Doncic, years in the Euro League, Pro League. You got Trey Young. And I'll say, you know, big conference, though. And then when we take a look at this year's crops, uh, Cody and Caleb Martin out in Nevada, John Morant, like yeah. smaller mid-major schools, not going up against that kind of competition at the college level. How does it translate to the NBA? We will wait and see. Speaking of the NBA, Boogie Cousins, that technical, that honestly did not look like very much of a technical. NBA said, whoopsies, Ridiculous. my bad. Yeah. NBA's like, let's just take it back. I, I still have struggled with, with why he even got one, obviously, to begin with. Uh, and that game with, with Charlotte, but, uh, you know, even Draymond saying, I don't know if I've ever seen that, but that is crazy. Yeah, that was all boogie reputation. Look, and look, the ref was like waiting to come in there and do something. Do you know what I mean? Like, you'd see him just pop off, like, look at him. He's like, no, it's ridiculous. Get out of my what face. I do? Right. It's, it's absurd. And, you know, again, this takes us back to, you know, some refs will have something with a guy or a guy can have this reputation where it doesn't matter the ref. He's not going to get the benefit of the doubt. Like, if that was, I don't know. KD gets a lot of text too. But if that's Steph Curry or Clay Thompson, I don't think he gets tech for that. That was a boogie cousin tech. And what I would have really appreciated is the ref's Twitter thing that we talk about on the oh, show yeah, for them to come out and say, yeah, uh, such and such referee made a mistake. Like boogie should not have been given a technical foul for that. Like I'm glad the NBA stepped in and saved him his thousand bucks, but I would have loved for the official Twitter for the NBA refs to have come out and said they made a mistake. So it's one thing to just say, oops, and then you're not going to have to pay the fine. What do, why do we not? put the refs in the same similar like like you can't just throw out tees like that and if you do then maybe you are sub I'm not saying it's going to happen see I know you're shaking your head see it's like can't do it every time yeah. it's like like if you just threw it out why don't I give him a $500 fine yeah no I don't know like I, that's a tough one because you know I'm usually like right I'm not pro ref I'm going to protect him I'm just saying yeah like you can't look there is also when we do our jobs as players um and we and and we make a mistake like you know, they don't find us for making the mistake. Like, if you miss two shots, they're not finding you for that. So if a ref misses two calls, I'm not lobbying for him to be fined. Do you know what I mean? But, like, I think, you know, the NBA does have to do a better job of, 
educating officials on what their job is at times. You know what I mean? And it, it's not – you're there to, to manage the game, make sure that the show goes on, um, that the people are there paying money, get to enjoy their experience. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. that's what you're there to do. You're not there to to be – you know, a judge and jury. Yeah. You're not there to, you know, that's not your job. And sometimes I feel like officials feel like that's their job. And I think the NBA, uh, needs to do a better job of educating them on exactly what they're there to do. All right. We got a minute, a minute left to go. Uh, by the way, Boogie Cousins now just 122 career technicals. Uh, dubs and heat. Let's just stick with Boogie real quick. Been having some problems with the pick and roll. Give me in 45 to 30 seconds here. Can the Warriors fix it? Can Boogie, what's he going to do? Well, um, I would imagine they'll have to change coverages with Boogie. Like I think that. If I'm not mistaken, Golden State, I haven't watched them in a few games. They like to switch all pick and rolls, right? Right, that's been um, They're not going to be able to do that with Boogie. That, your, your Achilles, that's, your Achilles has to be good to do that. And his Achilles won't be good for another six or seven months. Like, it's good enough to play, but it's not great. You can't move the way he needs to move. So you're not going to be able to switch pick and roll. What they'll probably wind up doing with Boogie is kind of covering the turn type of coverage where Boogie is on his man. He kind of continues to drop off. The defender on the ball goes over the screen and Boogie keeps like a soft trap on the guy until they get him in a space where he has to make a pass. And so that's the only real remedy for that because any good guard that you switch on to Boogie uh, is going to be able to dance on Boogie and put your defense in a real precarious situation. So they'll have to figure out another strategy defensively to implore when Boogie's on the floor. All right, good stuff as always. Thanks for letting me sit in. That's Canel and Bell. Enjoy hump day, everybody. See you later.